3: This
1: is the Tom Hartman Program. Well, greetings, my friends, patriots, lovers of democracy, truth, and justice, believers in peace, freedom, and the American way. Tom Hartman here with you. David Sirota is with us to kick things off. I got his newsletter this morning. Uh, the Daily Poster is uh, what it's called, and that's also the website, dailyposter.com. And of course, David's Twitter handle is David Sorota. And it was a jaw-dropper. David, welcome to the program, first of all, and thanks so much for dropping by this morning. Thanks for having me, Tom. So I'm reading your newsletter, and I had no idea that 11 years ago, arguably 12 years ago, in 2009, Connecticut basically passed a law to establish a public option. And giant health insurance companies with United Healthcare at the top of the list have done everything they can to prevent that from being implemented. Tell me about this.
4: Yeah. So 11 years ago, after the passage of the Affordable Care Act, Connecticut created a pathway to create a public option in its own state. If you remember back then, uh, the The Congress did not pass a national, federal public option, so states started going to work, Connecticut being one of them. Now, you might say Connecticut would be a a weird place to go to work work for one only because the insurance industry itself, much of it is rooted in Connecticut, but you know what? People live in Connecticut, and people don't like paying high health insurance premiums. Of course, the insurance industry is powerful in Connecticut, and it has managed to use its political power in the state to stop a public option. The health care pr- crisis has gotten worse. Now legislators have brought up another public option proposal. And what we reported at dailyposter.com is that there is video of United Health's uh, top executives uh, pressuring their rank-and-file workers, their rank-and-file employees, to lobby legislators in the state to kill the public option proposal that is moving uh, through that state's legislature, and the argument against it from United Health uh, boils down to that a public option could lower premiums I mean literally the executive on the video <laughs> says um, it would be art of, you know the premiums in the public option plan would be artificially low premiums now there's a debate about what what the word artificially means that word's doing a lot of work, but the point is is that united health. Uh, has been making record profits uh, during the pandemic. It has been pushing, at the same time, Connecticut regulators to approve premium increases, big premium increases in the state. And then it is telling its employees uh, to go into their communities, get on the phones, uh, and pressure lawmakers uh, to kill a public option
1: this is just mind boggling. It's also a great example of why big companies don't want unions because this you know, if United Healthcare was unionized, I suspect the response of the employees would be a whole different thing. What kind of response have they gotten so far? I you know, I read in your article that they, that we've got the, uh, the there's this national lobbying group for the big health insurance companies. Now they've created state based lobbying groups. There's one in Connecticut and they actually have thousands of members that they've suckered in? Are these just employees, or or are they just
4: bringing in the MAGA crowd now, or something? Well, so United United Healthcare made reference to other insurance companies doing the same thing. And your point about the national groups, there's a group called the Partnership, uh, uh, it's, it's basically called the Partnership, that's what it's referred to as, but it has state chapters. Uh, in which it is trying to stop the public option. There's a federal group that has been trying to stop the public option, and their message uh, has been uh, that we should uh, basically not uh, change the the Obamacare. We should not build off of, really, Obamacare. We should not expand uh, uh, into uh, expanding Medicaid or going to single-payer. In fact, in the Connecticut video, The United Healthcare Executive says they see the public option as a stepping stone to single payer. And the Partnership for America's Healthcare Future, which is that front group, uh, they have made the same argument. And what's really disturbing here, Tom, is that this is not, you know, this doesn't break down along party lines. The Partnership for America's Healthcare Future uh, is run uh, by a former top uh, Hillary Clinton aide. Uh, it is uh, one of the, the lobbying firm that works works with in D.C. There's uh, a lot of former Democratic officials. So people need to understand that this fight, especially with the health insurance companies, I mean, it really does transcend uh, party. It really is kind well, this of this is Joe Lieberman back class, in the day.
1: I mean, Joe Absolutely. Lieberman was Absolutely. the guy who killed the public option in the national bill, and he was the senator from Connecticut. Surprise, surprise.
4: That's right. And the reason Connecticut's important in this fight over, over a public option, which it should be said is no replacement for Medicare for all. But, but the insurance industry sees it as a stepping stone for Medicare for all. The reason Connecticut is so important is because the industry also sees it, sees the idea that if they lose in the home of the insurance industry, On something like this. It will send a message to legislators in other states that don't have as big a health insurance industry headquartered in the state. It will send a message to them that, go for it.
1: Yeah. So we have the um, uh, the Connecticut Health Connecticut's healthcare future. That's the uh, the local group. It's part of the Partnership for America's Healthcare Future Action, uh, which right. you, uh, I'm assuming is a uh, you know a lobbying group, or a PAC, or whatever they call them, and 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 promoting this. So we've got you know uh, oh, and you also pointed out in the article that um, United Healthcare just had their most profitable quarter. Ever, I think it was. Yeah. I, you know, I, I, I highlighted it here. I'm, I've highlighted so many things in your article. It's hard to, hard to find. Yeah, they showed fifteen billion dollars in profit last year. I mean, billion. Their CEO took fifty million dollars. Let's keep in mind, this is the company that paid dollar Bill McGuire one point six. $1.6 billion in compensation as CEO, and he had to give back $300 million of it because the federal government was alleging fraud. Um, uh, this is also one of the companies that most aggressively is promoting the Medicare Advantage scam, largely through um, uh, AARP and whatnot. So we've got this huge, I mean, this multi-billion dollar company with massive profits. You've got front groups that are very, very well-funded, Who's the opposition? Who is going up against these guys? Who, or what groups or what people, uh, you know, what are the pressure points? Who can we shout out to? Who can we call out to? Uh, what can we do to help the good citizens of
4: Connecticut have a single payer program? David. Well, sure. Uh, the person who's leading the battle in 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 the government is Kevin Lembo in Connecticut, the the comptroller. The plan is basically to uh, open up uh, some of the, the same uh, offerings that are offered to state government uh, employees to basically make, to allow people to get into parts of that plan. Uh, so Kevin Lembo, uh, the state comptroller there, uh, is leading that battle. Uh, there's the Universal Healthcare Foundation of, of Connecticut that's, that's basically been leading this uh, forever. So, I mean, it's basically, you know, the grassroots progressive infrastructure in Connecticut uh, that was, frankly, part of the the Ned Lamont campaign. I mean, I worked on the Ned Lamont campaign uh, back in 2006 Mm -hmm. against Joe Lieberman. I mean, and Ned Lamont now is governor. And it should be said, you know, Ned Lamont uh, has actually uh, opposed pieces of the existing plan in the legislature, but he has his own plan. And it should be said that the health insurance industry uh, is opposing all of it. The health insurance industry doesn't want any of it. So I would say this. The fact that the bill has been moving through the legislature means that there is real grassroots support for it, that legislators, individual legislators... I mean, if you're in Connecticut, call your individual legislator and tell them you want them to stand up against this kind of thing. uh, Tell them you want this. I mean, that's where this is coming from.
1: All right. Time for a public option. David Sirota, dailyposter.com is David's newsletter. It's well worth subscribing to signing up for. Uh, You can also tweet him at David Sirota, S-A-R-O-T-A. David, thanks so much for dropping by. It's always great talking with you, my friend.
4: Thank you, Tom. Really appreciate it.
1: Back at you. Thank you, David. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Back with your calls on whatever you want to talk about today. You have an inkling of what's on my mind, <laughs> although there's more. Cliff in Santa Clarita, California. Hey, Cliff, what's on your mind today?
3: Hi, right, Tom. Listen, Eric Gardner, selling loose cigarettes, mm-hmm. George Floyd, supposedly, allegedly passing a phony 20. Dante Wright uh, had an air freshener hanging from his rearview mirror. What do they all have in common, Tom? They're all black and they're all murdered by the police. I just don't get how they could make a human life worth so little. You know, I've always felt life is sacred, and for so many of these young men, I, that's just the tip of the iceberg, obviously. If I, if I was going to tell you the whole list, we'd be here for hours. But it's just For these young men to get murdered for such minor offenses, it's just such a human tragedy, man. I just, believe racism is the driving force behind all of these because, man, I was a kid. I was a teenager. I was trouble. All my friends, we were all troublemakers. I got arrested a few times. I had trials. My dad would get a call at midnight, come pick up your kid. But back then, Tom, cops weren't shooting at stolen car suspects and misdemeanor stuff. It just... Somewhere it changed. I don't know if it was the militarization of the police, but it didn't used to be where people were getting murdered for misdemeanor things, you know, that it escalates to this. I think these- Actually,
1: among black people, it did, Cliff. Uh, What we're seeing right now is nothing new. What what has changed is uh, Steve Jobs' invention, the iPhone, basically. What we're seeing now is that everybody's carrying a camera in their pocket, and the story that we have been hearing from, we, white people, have been hearing from the black community for our whole entire lives, and apparently not taking seriously that the police are out here trying to kill us, or kill them, that story is now irrefutable. That's what's happened. We've had a technological change, and it is leading to a cultural change. And I, you know, I think it's a, it's a great thing, but this is nothing new, Cliff. If anything, probably there's a lot fewer police killings of unarmed black people now than there were 20 years ago because it's harder for cops to get away with it
3: yeah that's a good point it's just such a tragedy tom i mean you know the, it's the life of a human is, is worth so much more it's obscene it's it, it's insane i mean and yeah. then to have people out there taking the cops side you know like like they deserved it you know oh he, he he did some opiates so he deserved it i mean what are you yeah. talking about it's a human life
1: Yeah. Well, this is the whole sales pitch on Fox News was, uh, you know, oh, my God, uh, you know, the Chauvin is going to go to jail. You know, this is a travesty, et cetera, et cetera. It's like, what? Really? Really? I mean, it's just, you know. But, you know, racism, my op-ed today over at HartmanReport.com is essentially about this, Cliff, that that racism, and it's kind of following on the rant that I did yesterday, That that racism is also about greed. Racism, you know, it's like, this is all the Republican Party has to sell anymore is greed. And racism is, I got mine, but you can't have any part of it, right? That's the essential piece of racism that I think a lot of people miss is that, you know, it's about greed like everything else. I mean, it's just, it's, it's pretty mind-boggling when you consider it, yeah. but yeah. you know this is the reality of America. And frankly, thank God that white people are waking up to what's happening, to what the daily normal experience of black people has been in the United States throughout my lifetime. And, and like I said, it was it was a hell of a lot worse in my dad's lifetime, and it was a hell of a hell of a lot worse in my grandfather's lifetime for black right. people in the United States. So, Cliff, thank you for the call. Spot on. I do have a few stories here that uh, that I want to get into as we continue through the day. The first, I'll just drop this right now. And, well, actually, uh, two real quick ones, and then I'll pick up your phone calls here. The first one is that one year ago, the former guy, and I, I love it that this is how Joe Biden is referring to him, and, and I, <laughs> I'm i going to adopt it. One year ago today, the former guy said, uh, well, maybe we could inject bleach to kill the virus. Yeah. Yeah. Let us never forget. And then secondly, it turns out that uh, Donald Trump delayed $20 billion in aid to Puerto Rico after Hurricane Maria. Presumably because the mayor of, I believe it's the capital city of Puerto Rico, remember her going on TV trashing Donald Trump and him trashing her on Twitter and everything? Well, he got his revenge. He is one of the most revengeful or vengeful people I've ever seen in politics. I mean, you know, maybe other people are like this behind the scenes, but I mean, this guy revels in revenge, as as Michael uh, uh, Cohen has pointed out on, on a couple of occasions. And uh, the story is in the Guardian right now. Uh, a forty, the Department of the uh, the Housing Department HUD, the Department of Housing Urban the HUD's Inspector General, just released a forty six page report which had been suppressed during the Trump administration. Keep in mind, this was 2017. This was was in the neighborhood of three years ago that Hurricane Maria killed at least 5,000 people in Puerto Rico, did mind-boggling amounts of damage to the island. There are still people living under blue tarps. And the reason why, and by the way, uh, Ben Carson, who was the secretary of HUD, uh, refused to cooperate with the investigation, so we don't have his uh, statement on it. But they've been holding up this money until literally this week. On Monday, HUD removed restrictions imposed by the Trump administration on access to $8.2 billion in community development block grant mitigation money. The agency stalled the release of the disaster relief aid and imposed additional restrictions on how the island could access the funds. Keep in mind, this was September 2017. 5,000 people died quickly, you know, from drowning and landslides and collapses and building collapses and things. And then we have no idea how many more thousands of people died because the Trump administration also basically blocked any kind of investigation into this. This is criminal. Donald Trump, in order to get vengeance against a mayor in Puerto Rico, took actions that led to the death of American citizens who live in Puerto Rico, which is all the people in Puerto Rico. I mean, Puerto Rico is an American territory. Puerto Ricans are are American citizens. I was mind boggled. It boggled my mind to see the article in The Guardian. What boggles my mind even more is that it's not on the front page of The New York Times right now. I, I think this is just a huge story. So anyway, as I said, let's pick up your phone calls here. Russ in Hickory Hills, Illinois. Hey, Russ, what's on your mind?
3: Thanks, Tom, for taking my call. As usual, I you know I hear you talking about the Republican Party. When are we going to clean our own party up? I mean, you got Feinstein that President Vice President asked her to step down. She told her get lost. Who do you think you're talking to? And you got Kristen Cinema. What did she do? Oh, eleven dollars an hour with Romney. It doesn't kick into 2026. Jeremy Mendy of uh, Kentucky was laughing about it. And, of course, you got Joe Manson that just doesn't want to pass anything in West Virginia. I mean, Tom, we've got to do something. There's 100 House members today that were on TV complaining about we've got to start passing bills. And these three are holding up everything, Tom. I mean, this and the thing about it is Joe Manson voted for every Republican judge, am I right or wrong?
1: Because he's in Virginia, I, I I don't recall if you're right or wrong, Russ. But your analysis of the situation is mostly spot on. You know, where the jury is still out, we have not yet confronted a major vote in the Senate. And when that happens, that's when we're going to find out what's real and what's not real. I mean, Kirsten Cinema has a, a very bizarre or strange, shall we say, a political history she went from being a Bernie Sanders liberal. She used those super liberal credentials to get herself into the Senate. And then all of a sudden she became a big corporate dem. I don't know if it's because all of a sudden she saw how much money was available to her, you know, from lobbyists or what, but, or she just likes being a contrarian, but she's kind of a a wild card because I don't understand what motivates her. Joe Manchin, I understand what motivates him. He's in a state that Donald Trump won by what, 30 points, something like that. And he's got 40. to keep the people in West Virginia forty points. So he's got to keep the people 30. in West Virginia on his side. And 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 I don't think he's going to leave the Democratic Party. You know, like like Jim Jeffords left the Republican Party, or or Joe, or Joe Lieberman did. I don't think he's going to because the Republican Party is so badly damaged. Although the governor of his state, Jim Justice, left the Democratic Party. You know, like the week after he won the election, <laughs> very shortly, soon thereafter. So we'll see, Russ. It's going to come down to a vote on one of these issues, uh, on, on policing or, or You're voting. Listening. Hang to on. to the Tom Hartman program. Hate it when that guy steps on me. It's going to come down to a vote, and that vote is going to be very, very carefully chosen by Chuck Schumer. And then we're going to see who's what. Experience chef quality meals every week delivered right to your door. Go to cookunity.com slash Hartman with two ends or enter the code Hartman with two Ns before checking out for 50% off your first week. That's 50% off your first week by using the code Hartman or going to CookUnity.com slash Hartman. Chris in Littleton, Colorado. Hey, Chris, what's on your mind? Yeah, hi. we're facing the two biggest threats in the history of
3: mankind, is climate change and biodiversity loss. Unless we stop pumping carbon in the atmosphere and go to green energy, the climate could reach a point of no return where nobody can stop climate change.
1: Yeah, and there is considerable concern, Chris, that we may have already reached that point that at least it'll get so bad, even if we were to stop right now, that it'll be disruptive of human civilization. The question is, will it you know, be disruptive of human life on this planet? I don't think we're there yet, but in fact, I'm not sure that we're even close to there yet, but, but we have more carbon in the atmosphere right now than, than this planet has seen in over 3 million years. And 3 million years ago, there were no humans on this planet. Uh, there were hominids <laughs> you, know, you had a couple of pre humans, but no humans and so you know some really, really big questions and spot on chris and the two things are not inter- are not unrelated: climate change and biodiversity loss are inextricably intertwined, and the common denominator among both of them is massive increases in human population and massive exploitation of the biosphere, not just for human survival, but for human pleasure and uh, you know, all, all kinds of stuff, I mean, it's just terrible. Chris, thank you, spot on. Rick in uh, Visalia, California. Hey, Rick, what's up?
0: Yeah, I have a thought came to the other day about the timing of recessions and depressions, you know they are harvest events. There are times when the millionaires and billionaires who cause the billionaires and multi-billionaires who cause them to happen, harvest their gains. In other words, there's a bull market for a while, bubble when they've got people lured into making lots of investments, real estate, securities, business loans to start or expand a business. And then once that cash is there, when the market collapses, they basically, everyone else goes bankrupt and they walk out the back door with this suitcase full of cash. So I call it a harvest event. And what occurred to me the other day was, why would they let something like that happen during at least a progressive Democratic administration? During a Republican administration, their harvest is protected. But during a Democratic administration, the Democrats will do something about it, and what they do about it is going to cost them. I just got your opinion, because I don't know anything. I really don't have any, any data to back this up. It's just an impression I got.
1: that's fascinating you know i'd have to do some digging into the numbers we do know that one of the bugs or features depending on how you look at it of of capitalism is that you know every five to ten years you have a recession um and and i think your characterization of them as, as harvest events is not only accurate and brilliant rick but back in the 20s back you know post 1929 I believe it was Morgan, JP Morgan, but I could be wrong. I think he was Herbert Hoover's Treasury Secretary, if I'm remembering my history right. And you know, he said in response to the crash of 1929, he said, "Liquidate everything. Liquidate light labor. Liquidate business. Liquidate the stock market. Just liquidate the banks. Let them all collapse, and and the good people will step in and pick up the pieces." In other words, us rich guys see this as an enormous buying opportunity, which is exactly what the Great Depression was, and and every recession since then. The, the second worst recession that we had in the United States after the Great Depression happened in the second or third year of Reagan's presidency. And, you know, we bounced back from that fairly quickly with, a lot, you know, a lot of intervention on, on the part of the uh, Reagan administration in Congress. But you had Democrats controlling Congress at that time. But to the extent that there may be a, you know, let's not do this during Democratic administrations or even that there's any, that these folks have any control over this, it, that's something i can't i can't certify i can't i you know I, can, I i don't know if i can agree with you on that or not i'd have to do a lot more research but certainly they they you know the i mean look at the the billionaires in america have massively i mean they've they've increased their wealth you know over a trillion dollars just as a result of the recession that came about as a result of covid uh, or you could call it a depression. I mean, there's still, we had, uh, today it was a little over 500,000 people filed new unemployment claims in the last week. We are still eight, 10 million people down from, you know, in the labor force than from just a year ago and or a little more than a year ago before the, before the pandemic. But I think that you're onto something, Rick, and I'd encourage you to do some digging on it. I will do some poking around on it this weekend. If you find anything, you know, drop me a note, send me a tweet, whatever, whatever. Um, uh, it, it would be a that's the kind of thing that would make a fascinating hypothesis even for a book but uh, I you know it, it would take some really really deep analysis um, so okay, Rick well, thank, thank you.
5: you for my question or at least for giving my pleasure
1: yeah yeah good talking to you I appreciate it keep thinking keep thinking I'm telling you we got some of the smartest listeners on earth it is such a pl- uh, such a privilege and a pleasure to do this show with you guys Al Barr in Chestertown Maryland am I saying your name right
5: uh, yes, sir, Tom. Uh,
3: thanks for uh, letting me talk. Um, I would love your show before I say anything, but Thank you. Um, I was curious, uh, why do you think that, it seems like I haven't heard anything about Julian Assange, his situation anywhere on the media at all, and I was curious why you think that is, because it seems like somebody should be talking about him because he's, you know, a pretty important journalist. And that was basically it. I'll let you go and, you know, just, i just wondering sure. what's, what's happening with that. I think there's
1: a lot of ambivalence about Julian Assange. You know, he started out as a crusader for transparency, essentially, publishing things that really needed to be published in many cases, you know, uh, particularly about the crimes that uh, George Bush and uh, Dick Cheney were committing. And then it appeared that he got into bed with, uh, with the Russians or with somebody, you know, uh, or maybe with the Republicans in an effort to uh, damage Hillary Clinton. Uh, an explicit effort. I mean, there, there's like emails that Julian Assange was a party to uh, talking about trying to help get Donald Trump elected. And, and that was the point, assuming that that's all true, by the way. I mean, these, these narratives, none of these narratives have been tested in court. Um, but, you know, if that's true, I think that's the point at which a lot of people, particularly Democrats and progressives said, uh, uh, you know, yeah, maybe he was a good guy, but maybe he kind of went off the edge. I don't know if you saw the movie that was made, Jeff Skoll's production company made the movie about Julian Assange a couple of years ago. His growing up in this cult where everybody bleached their hair white at which he had continued to do throughout his life. And there was just this very, very strange cult. I don't know. He's, he's kind of an enigmatic guy. And and I personally am, you know, have a lot of ambivalence about Julian Assange because like I said, I think, you know, being, you know, pushing transparency and being a a vehicle for publishing things that governments don't want out there. Good thing. Doing that selectively. Apparently, he had the ability to publish information about Trump that would have been very, very negative to Trump. He chose not to do that. Doing that selectively. That's a whole different thing. But, you know, the bottom line is, you know, he is waiting for a, a day in court, I believe, Hopefully, a lot of that will be bringing uh, things to light. Larry in Los Angeles. Hey, Larry, what's on your mind
6: today? Hi, you guys started talking about recessions, and I have actually looked the the data up. Every time a Republican gets a first term, he takes our country into a recession. And this happened for the last 120 years. It used to happen with Democrats also when they would have a first term. But what started happening with uh, FDR is he started trying to include blacks into the economy so that they would prosper along with the rest of the uh, the population and since that time in the last 68 years you have democrats only giving us one recession in the last 68 years of our our history republicans have given us 10 recessions in that same time frame wow and that's because they're trying they're trying to tune the economy in a way so that minorities do not prosper and 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 that, this is why you always see all this money being just given to Mainly, uh, rich white males, and and, and, and it's, it's, so it's not just that the business sector is uh, is is basically has uh, systemic racism built into it. The government does it also. So right now, even though uh, you were about to say something.
1: Just real quickly, Larry, I'm curious if the Republican equation is, let's get the recession in as soon as we take office, you know, or in the first year or so, because when we recover from the recession, people will forget the recession. They will remember the recovery and they will think, gee, that Republican really made the economy good. What do you think?
6: Republicans are basically ignorant. And the other caller was correct that that is sort of a harvest period, that Republicans are, are, they don't really care about the fact that they're getting a recession, because the government's going to step in and make the major corporations whole again. And they're doing yeah. this, this is sort of the harvest and the um, and, and the planning season. The, the, the Democrats yeah. had a great
1: economy. The but the Democrats aren't playing that game. Yeah, I get it. Larry, fascinating. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. Once again, we've got the brightest people on the planet here listening to this program.
3: You're listening to Tom Hartman. Visit TomHartman.com for audio and video archives.
1: Kent in Los Angeles. Hey Kent, what's on your mind today?
6: Hi Tom, thank you for having me on. I love your program. Some years ago, you had a former surgeon general on your show, and he was talking about vaccinations, the things that were in them, and it didn't sound too healthy. I was wondering if there's been more you know a, a technology that's improved or uh you know they make improved vaccinations because i know some mm-hmm. of them are effective, like polio and so forth you know they got us through a, a lot but then oh, yeah. you know there's anyway i'll let you take it
1: yeah can kent you're probably talking about i don't recall the guy's name there there was a guy who was a former surgeon general we had on we also had bobby kennedy on i think he has since kind of gone off the rails but the objections that were being shared on my program at that time, things that I then agreed with, and I still think are concerns, are number one, that the, the vaccine companies were using mercury-based uh, preservatives, uh, Thimerosal is the name of it. That's been largely phased out now, and it only very rarely occurs. And the second was that children were being given a whole bunch of vaccines all at once, specifically the MMR, when they really probably should be staged so that you get get one shot every two or three months so that the the immune system doesn't get overwhelmed. Um, All of that was tied into this fear that vaccine was somehow causing autism, and that has been largely debunked. So I've just been staying away from the topic ever since then because... I'm vaccinated, my kids are vaccinated. I really and truly believe that the, and I got the Pfizer vaccine for the, the coronavirus. I, I you know I think vaccines have, have done a lot of good for Americans. I am a little concerned about the limits of liability that we've put on vaccine manufacturers at the federal government level. And but again I just don't want to go off on that because these small concerns, and that's really what they are, small concerns. You know, are we giving kids too many vaccines? over too short a period of time? Are we using preservatives and adjuvants, uh, these things that increase the potency of vaccines like alum, which is basically aluminum? Are we using those inappropriately? And what about the limits of liability? Those are all things that, you know, we probably should have a conversation about, but the anti-vaxxers are now using those three points in particular as if they are like some kind of massive smoking gun that proves there's all kinds of terrible stuff going on and you should never vaccinate your kids and all this kind of, and I think frankly, that's doing a whole hell of a lot more damage than any good that would come out of a conversation about maybe we should back off on the, on the legal protections we're giving the vaccine industry, for example. It's almost impossible now to have a conversation about any kind of vaccine that doesn't end up stirring up these anti-vaxxers and, you know, I just don't want them to have any part of my show any longer. Mm-hmm. Not that they ever did in a big way, but that's the conversation that you're probably remembering. And it's also why in the last couple of years I haven't gone back there because it's just like a lot of these people have just turned, you know, they, they've gone full QAnon, you know, on some of this stuff. Which well, is interesting that there run? were so
6: many components that he thought were bad, like battery acid. You know, the of sort of yeah, general. I don't remember that one. So, I don't
1: remember that uh, one. I, and and uh, but sulfuric acid, you know, might be used to clean vials or something. But there's there's no battery acid in your vaccines. You know, okay, so support. mercury is the only
6: real issue.
1: Yeah, Cat, I got to run. I'm sorry. Here on the Tom Hartman program, picking up your calls, Mike in Lamita, California. Hey, Mike, what's up?
5: Hey, Tom, thanks for supporting KPFK, and Happy Shakespeare's four hundred fifty seventh birthday. Okay, you're welcome, Mike. And I didn't realize it was his birthday.
1: Happy, happy you know, it's, it's also uh, Drink Bleach Day, uh, Donald Trump's. <laughs> <laughs> <I'll> <laughs>
5: what on that yeah, I, yeah I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, what's up, Mike? I'm calling. Yesterday, you uh, did a little story on a a school reopening in Beverly Hills where a bunch of anti-maskers showed up to try Mm -hmm. to convince these nine-year-olds not to wear masks. And you ask, what can you do about people like that? And it struck me that this is basically a reference to an old Lily Tomlin routine from the 1970s, before there were uh, cell phones or the Internet, when she cited all these solitary... Crackpots wandering the streets of New York City mumbling to themselves and how the social services department should get them together so they'll be mumbling to one another. And it struck me, well, the internet has taken care of that, and now we have anti maskers who actually get to a feeling of social interaction by getting together by and being crazy together. So I think it's a That's sort of a tribute to. Theory. Tribute to, to uh, Lily Tomlin for having uh, called this one. And, uh, oh, God bless Lily. Lily. Lily
1: is one of the best actors and the best comedians uh, on earth. I mean, she is so brilliant and uh, and has provided, uh, I know Louise and I, have so much entertainment for so many years, and uh, and she's still making great television. But, uh, you know, <laughs> to your point, Mike, I think this is one of the things that Facebook has done. You know, they're... Uh, a theoretical mission anyway was you know bringing people together and they brought the crazy people together and, and yeah and, 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 on the but bright not just side, Facebook
5: obviously but go ahead on the bright side of insanity though uh, I looked at this uh, Beverly Hills fiasco and there was a total of five persons five total persons trying to convince really? yeah there was a video of it. and this
1: made national news that's that's pretty weird too um, well, I got a
5: little huh. coverage in the local Beverly uh, Hills Journal. But uh, yeah. only five crazies there. And uh, the big uh, 500 uh, q clanners that were supposedly convened in Huntington Beach a couple of weeks ago, it turns out they're only, according to the uh, head of the local anti-defamation, league, there are only 10 recognizable clanners that showed up. And there are much yeah. larger numbers of people who were chasing them off and uh, yelling, uh, Nazis go yeah. home. So people can take a little
1: bit of encouragement in those sorts of steps. There you go, Mike. And 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 in a way, it's sort of like the old Tea Party thing, you know, where the, the, the Koch brothers funded this FreedomWorks thing that, you know, created these Tea Party events where they'd rent these $300,000 buses and rent venues and hire PR firms and do all this kind of stuff. And the media would just cover it all breathlessly. And, and it would be, you know, 50 or 100 people, uh, you know, who seemed kind of confused because they had signs like, keep your government hands off my Medicare <laughs> and stuff like that. And there's Spot
5: also on. the uh, yeah so there's a press convention of trying to hype up whatever you're covering too using selected camera angles and making yeah, a, exactly. a few people look like a big mob which tends to blow some things out of proportion.
1: Yeah, it's the old if it bleeds it leads and sometimes they have to create the blood and I think that's yeah. what they're doing. Mike, thank you very much. It's great to hear from you as always. My, Lynn in El Segundo listening on KPFK. Hey Lynn, what's up?
0: Hi, good morning. I just want you to know you put a lot of pressure on me to, to be the smartest person in the world. <laughs> <But> anyway, <laughs> one of the smart listeners. Okay. Uh, my question, yeah, I just have a simple question about the D.C. Mm-hmm. statehood situation. I know everybody right. knows we're going to get, if it happens, we get two more senators. Yay! Right. But what happens in the House? Um, I know we have Eleanor Holmes Norton serving, but she doesn't vote at this time. And I mm-hmm. heard that what, will ha- what might happen is not a good thing for Democrats because they might have to shuffle representatives, take seats from other neighboring Democratic states. So I don't know if you know, have, if you no. have any information on that, I'd appreciate it.
1: Yeah, to the best of my knowledge, that would not be the case because representatives are apportioned based on the population of the state, not of the territory mm-hmm. or the surrounding areas. And the population of Washington, D.C. is a little larger than Wyoming, and I think it's right in the neighborhood of Vermont. And both those states have one member of the House. So my guess is that Eleanor Holmes Norton would simply be elevated from a delegate, which is her official title right now, which means she can speak, she can listen, but she can't vote, to a representative. And and then, of course, the next election would decide whether she was going to continue in that position or she'd be replaced. I'm guessing she would continue. The people of D.C. love her. I lived there for seven years. She, she does a great job of representing the city. So I don't think there's any downside to this. At at least I've Mm. not seen anything that seriously suggests that.
0: Hmm. Uh, Yeah, I'm just curious, like the limit is, the the number of representatives is 435. So it just seems like they have to cut from somewhere, but I'll take your word for it. No, they don't.
1: um, They don't. And I think, I think Eleanor Holmes-Norton is already one of those 435, although I could be wrong on that. But, you know, but the number of of representatives, it's it's not so much the number of representatives that's fixed. Actually, Mm -hmm. I'll have to go back and look at that. I was going to say it's the population, but I'll have to go back and look at that. Lynn, thank you very much. Thank you. Great call.
3: You're listening to Tom Hartman.
1: Quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. And welcome back. Tom Hartman here with you. And we've got a a story about red meat that I'm going to get to in just a moment, uh, which I think is a, a, a pretty damn good one. Meanwhile, the Oklahoma legislature has just passed a bill that legalizes murdering protesters with cars. Not making this up. This is from the Associated Press. Not not the World Communist League, the Associated Press. The state Senate voted 38 to 10, mostly along party lines, for a bill that now heads to the governor's desk. The measure is one of a series of GOP-backed proposals that would increase criminal penalties for for activities associated with protests over racial injustice and police brutality. Specifically, The bill would make it a misdemeanor punishable by up to a year in jail and a $5,000 fine for anyone who blocks the use of a public street. Remember that part about the First Amendment, the right of the people to peaceably assemble and petition their government for redress of grievance. That's the the phrase from the First Amendment. Yeah, well, so much for that. Uh, The measure would also, but now here's where it gets really bizarre. The measure would also grant a motorist criminal and civil immunity if they kill or injure someone while they are fleeing from a, quote, riot. From a riot? What is, oh, fleeing from a riot, oh yeah. Well, all you have to do to decide that it's a riot is to have the police declare it a riot. And if it's a bunch of people who are protesting police violence, Surprise, surprise. It's going to be a riot. It's going to be considered a riot. It's going to be called a riot. Rob Standridge, a Republican from Norman, Oklahoma, who wrote the bill, said it was prompted mostly by an incident in Tulsa last summer in which a pickup truck drove through a crowd gathered on a Tulsa interstate while protesting the death of George Floyd in Minneapolis. Several people were injured, including one who was paralyzed from the waist down After falling from an overpass, but the driver whose family was in the car was not charged. So the driver drives into the crowd, pushes one guy over the edge of the overpass. He's paralyzed from the waist down for the rest of his life. And the result, the response by this Republican who sponsored this legislation that has just passed the state Senate in Oklahoma 38 to 10. Was to say, we're not going to prosecute people who do that. No, not going to happen. In fact, he goes on to say, the kids cowered in the back seat because they feared for their lives. That's what this bill is all about. So those protesters made them fear for their lives. The protesters who got hit with the truck, the protesters who got run over, the protesters who, one of whom got pushed right up to the edge of an overpass and flipped over the bridge and broke his back. Those were the protesters who were so scary that the kids in the back seat feared for their lives and therefore daddy had to kill some pro or try to kill some protesters. Amazing. It's absolutely amazing. Anyhow, we'll be back. I've got an amazing story to tell you about red meat and heart disease, and then we'll pick up your phone calls. Stick around. Tom Hartman here with you. A little geeky science for you for the day. This is a study of 20,000 individuals. This is a good, solid study. It was published in the uh, a journal called Preventative Cardiology at the uh, uh, Scientific Congress of the European Society of Cardiology, Cardiology heart, heart medicine. And what they found, there, there, first of all, they measured three types of, uh, they used three different ways of measuring heart function, how well, how, how well your heart is doing. First, cardiovascular magnetic resonance, CMR, which uh, assesses the, uh, the function of the heart. It's sort of like an MRI, you know, only specific to the heart. So it's looking at the soft tissue, at the muscles and things, and and, uh, the inside of the arteries and veins. Second, they used a, a technique called novel CMR radiomics, which is used to extract detailed information from heart images, such as shape and texture. And the third thing they measured was the elasticity of blood vessels. The elasticity of blood vessels determines the variability of your blood pressure, the ability of your body to respond to demands for higher blood pressure like, you know, as a consequence of exercise or to downregulate as a consequence of for example, relaxing or meditating or sleeping. They also adjusted by the way, they looked at a whole bunch of variables, age, gender, deprivation, education, smoking, alcohol, exercise, high, blo- high blood pressure, high cholesterol, diabetes, and body mass index as a measure of obesity. So they took all of those variables and basically sorted them out, filtered them out. If you have one obese person in the control group, you have one obese person in the non-control group, for example. So, so it doesn't matter, right? So, you're not, so all you're measuring is heart. That's all they're looking at. And this, uh, this study was published over at uh, ScienceDaily.com. And uh, just to give credit, because I'm going to quote a sentence or two, the researchers found that greater intake of red meat was associated with worse imaging measures of heart health across all measures studied. Specifically, individuals with higher meat intake had smaller ventricles, poorer heart function, and stiffer arteries—all markers of worse cardiovascular health. Now they compared this. I've, you know, I've told you for years that uh, you know I became a vegetarian when I was 16, and and then maybe I don't know, 15 years ago or so, I started eating fish occasionally, and then I stopped eating fish for a year or so, and then maybe I don't know, six eight months ago, uh, Louise and I started eating fish maybe once a month. You know, we will eat try to eat oily fish occasionally but I don't eat dairy products. So anyhow, the researchers found greater intake of red red and processed meat was associated with the worst imaging across all measures studied. Uh, Meat intake had smaller ventricles, poorer heart function, stiffer arteries, all markers of cardiovascular health. As a comparison, the researchers also tested the relationship between heart imaging measures and intake of oily fish, which has previously been linked with better heart health. They found that as the amount of oily fish consumption rose, heart function improved and arteries were stretchier interesting very interesting apparently my uh, my body is telling me uh, good stuff uh, they go on to say this is this is one of the researchers dr. Raisi Estebra, uh says for example it's possible that greater red meat intake leads to raised blood cholesterol and this in tune turn causes heart disease, our study suggests that these four factors do play a role in the links between meat intake and heart health. She noted, quote, there is some evidence that red meat alters the gut microbiome, leading to higher levels of certain metabolites in the blood, which have, which have been linked to greater risk of heart disease. And uh, I, you know, I think this is just absolutely fascinating. You want to read the whole thing, uh, the European Society of Cardiology Uh, is where it is published, and uh, you can get the entire study there. But, I mean, this just comes on the heel. I I remember back in the 70s when Louise and I were just like, you know, crusaders for vegetarianism. And a friend of ours owned a restaurant, and his father got heart disease and was literally dying of heart disease. And he, his father was in his 60s. And, uh, and, you know, when we were all in our 30s at the time. And, and he took his father out to Nathan Pritigan's place where they put him on basically a vegan diet. And his father's heart disease reversed. And his father lived for another, you know, decade and a half just fine, thank you very much. Just never again ate meat or dairy. And, uh, you know, I've, I've seen this with my own eyes over and over and over again. Anyhow, I'll be picking up your phone calls on the other side of this break. I'm going to just uh, uh, reconnect to our studio. So we'll get rid of our latency problem here. And uh, so we'll be right back with your thoughts on whatever's on your mind right after this. Stick around. It's the Tom Hartman program, occupying the media three hours a day, five days a week. And welcome back. Tom Hartman here with you. Alan Dershowitz, uh, that great legal mind and, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> friend of Donald Trump and his, and his little buddy Jeffrey. Uh, Alan Dershowitz uh, says that uh, Maxine Waters is uh, doing the same thing as the Klan. Right. Yeah, the Klan. Yeah, Maxine Waters. He really said that. He said uh, she, her actions are similar to intimidation efforts of the Klan toward juries in the '60s and 50s and 60s. Tucker Carlson said that, uh, you know, what Maxine Waters said was, you know, if, if, this, if uh, Chauvin gets off, that people in Minneapolis need to speak out. She is not advocating violence. She, she obviously is not advocating violence, never has. But Tucker Carlson says, Uh, that what she is saying is do what we say or we'll kill you right this at the same time that the city is now mourning the death of uh, Duante Wright you know another black man in this case almost a child uh, murdered by the police it is uh, just remarkable it's not the way that the justice system should work but it is the way that it has worked forever. So, Anyhow, picking up your phone calls, Alfredo in Mountain View, California. Hey, Alfredo, what's up?
2: Hey, Tom. Uh, I hope your shoulder is feeling better.
1: <laughs> yeah, slowly it um, yeah. is. Yeah, thank you.
2: <laughs> I'm, I'm glad to hear that. Yeah, uh, I have been vegan for 36 plus years. And um, you're talking about red meat. Just blaming red meat and uh, discounting all the other animal meats or animal products out there, I think is a big mistake. For example, a piece of breast of chicken has the same amount of cholesterol than a piece of red meat. Uh, Mm -hmm. So yeah, and uh, dairy products as well are very harmful. I don't know if you know Dr. Cadwell Esselstein, He is an authority on reversing heart, heart disease with plant-based diets, without surgery, without drugs. As a matter of fact, he was one of the physicians who helped uh, 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 former President Bill Clinton to reverse his heart disease with plant-based diets. And yeah. Uh, no, plant-based,
1: plant-based diets absolutely work to do that. A dear friend of mine, Earl Katz, reversed his heart disease uh, that way. My, my, my friend, Tom Larson, his father reversed his heart disease. That was back, you know, 40 years ago at the Pritigan Clinic. I've seen it over and over again. I am mm-hmm. convinced, in fact, that uh, dairy products are even worse than meat and meat is oh, pretty absolutely. awful stuff. I think the one exception to that, and maybe this is just, you know, my dad's father was a Norwegian immigrant. And so we always had basically Norwegian food kicking around the house. And a lot of that was uh, kippered herring and herring and these, these basically small oily fish. And so I grew up eating that stuff and uh, the, that my wife thinks just tastes totally creepy, you know, anchovies and things. And I think that that's the well, exception to it. But when I say that I eat fish, I'm talking about one ounce every
2: two weeks,
1: <laughs> you know, it's not like yeah, uh, you know, every, you, yeah, every meal. Be,
2: yeah, you have to be careful with fish because the studies that I have read, and you can look, look them up and uh, there is an organization called Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine or PCRM.org, and the studies mm. that they have, they show that eating fish also elevates your your cholesterol. And so the so-called benefits of the oil in fish are actually, they're not very well studied. And they have demonstrated that they do elevate your cholesterol, so I will watch out for that as well. Yeah, and that may
1: be the the function of it, just being a high protein food, and high protein foods tend to be inflammatory, and cholesterol is a response to inflammation. But I am not a nutritionist; I am I am just you know somebody who's been obsessed with how I eat ever since I was a teenager, and uh, so mm-hmm. that's that's all I can say. But Alfredo, you are absolutely mm-hmm. right. For anybody who has you know any kind of concern about their heart, of course, talk to your doctor first. But there's a documentary out called Forks Over Knives that just lays yes, the an stuff out. Movie. and it's an yeah, excellent it movie is, yes it is absolutely brilliant alfredo i got to move along but thank you for the call thank and thank you, yeah. you for your uh, th- yeah thanks for you yeah. for contributing to the conversation yeah. we'll be back with more-